Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with drug addiction and mental health issues for several years. I am walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Today, I'll be talking with a Boston-based non-binary musician, Spencer LaJoy. I recently ran across their recent song, The Plowshare Prayer, which a fellow Unitarian Universalist shared on Facebook. And I have listened to that song on repeat ever since. It, I can hardly explain to you how deeply that song has touched me and many, many others because it's gone viral. Anyway, I, we will be playing Spencer's song in just a bit, but first I wanted to introduce them to you and get a little backstory about their life. So when you hear the song, it will be even more impactful. So welcome to Safe Home Spencer. We're so glad to have you here. Thanks for having me, Beth. I'm really, really honored. Thank you. Well, and I think one of the things that draws me to your music is that we have so many things in common. We have similar upbringings growing up in the church as musicians and later coming out as queer, although you did it much sooner than I did. I, I was in my uh, 40s, <laughs> so okay, got a sure. good head start on me there. Thank you. <laughs> It'll be much better for it, believe me. And, uh, and part of the purpose of the Plowshare Prayer was to create a prayer for those who have been injured by religious trauma or by religion or religious people in the past, right? So can you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up for you in the church and your family situation? Yeah, so I grew up in, I guess I would describe it as a maybe moderate progressive religious household, actually. Mm -hmm. um, my dad is Catholic and my mom's Presbyterian. And so I was a proud Presbatholic, like the <laughs> <laughs> the uh, pastor of the Presbyterian church actually came over to the Catholic church to perform my baptism. So I am actually a baptized Presbatholic and I uh, went to Catholic school through sixth grade and then went to public school and, you know, experienced all the bullying that um, someone who comes from Catholic school goes through oh, when we go to... A little bit of hazing, huh? Yeah, for sure. Um, but as far as like relig religiosity in my household, like in my home, I really, because I had both, because I had this sort of ecumenical upbringing, I really only knew that no matter what our differences were denominationally, you know, I go to Catholic church one week and Presbyterian church the next week. And my mom's different from my dad, but we all just eat together anyway. Mm -hmm. It's it's one table, if you will. Uh -huh. And you can take that metaphor wherever you want yeah. to go with it. But so in a lot of ways, that was really, really healthy for me mm -hmm. as a young kid. Mm -hmm. um, I think it changed as I moved into adolescence. But as a young kid, I think all I knew was really like unity and togetherness. Oh, that's, um, that's how we all wished it would be, right? Yeah. Interfaith yeah. and all that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. And then in adolescence, did you come to realization that you were gay or uh, had uh -huh. uh, gender issues or? Yeah, not, not really so much. And actually I just came from therapy today. I was just in, in uh, talking to my therapist about this exact thing about how I didn't, I didn't know, but my body knew and I just sort of ignored my body. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Yeah. Fascinating. Now that I am more, as an adult, in touch with my body and aware of my dysphoria and aware of some ways that I feel uncomfortable walking through the world and ways that I feel comfortable, what feels good and what doesn't feel good, I notice when I have bad days of dysphoria, it feels like I am 16 again in those oh. days. I'll be doing my grown-up things. I'll be living my grown-up life. And I have the supreme... All, sometimes panic attack inducing discomfort, sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes that I feel 16 again, but as a 16 year old, I never would have been able to identify that. And so I'm trying now in my adulthood to validate the feelings that I never allowed myself to feel as a 16 year old, oh, if that wow. makes sense. Yeah. You're doing the work, the healing work. Yeah. Wow. I'm like looking back and telling myself, wow, that was hard. That oh, was hard. Wow. And you were feeling hard things. Yeah. And, um, 
you never let yourself feel them or you never knew that it was an option to feel them. You just mm-hmm. thought you were wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I'm tr- yeah, I'm trying to, yeah, do the healing work yeah. for my younger self now. But all of that is to say, I didn't know. I didn't know when I was a teenager or a preteen. I didn't know that I was non-binary. I didn't know um, that I was queer. Were those words even in your vocabulary or you just didn't no. identify it as yourself? Non-binary definitely wasn't. Mm. Gay was. Gay was in my vocabulary. Bisexual was in my vocabulary. And all I knew, all I knew was that there were kids in my high school who were ostracized. They were like the out gay kids Mm. and they were not popular. (sighs) And I knew that I didn't feel normal. I always knew that there was something kind of different Mm -hmm. about me, but I knew that whatever it was, I couldn't be them. Whatever it was, I wasn't that. Okay. You weren't the outcast type. Yeah. yeah. And, and were you popular at school? Um, I was okay. I, I was okay. And by the time I got to high school. Yeah. I, I was, my parents were both teachers in the high school. So my dad was the band teacher and my mom was the choir teacher oh, Wow. and kids liked them. Okay. And so I got to kind of ride on their reputation oh, a little nice. bit. That, yeah. That worked out. It, uh-huh. Yeah. But I, I, so I was okay. Um, but but I I was also very Christian. I was I became evangelical in my in my teenage world. Like even uh, more years. than your parents. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So you went to somebody else's church at, at a certain point. <laughs> yeah, I went to other youth groups. Yeah. Oh yes, I've I remember those the hand raising and the healing, oh my gosh. putting laying on hands, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Yes. Speaking in tongues? Did you get that far? Oh, I didn't go. I didn't get that far. Uh No, in my my training, in my young evangelical training, I never became Pentecostal. But I, um, yeah, I I remember going to the big rock concerts and the conferences. Uh, The Baptist youth group in our town would like take field trips there. And we would go and I remember seeing all of my peers like raising their hands. And I was like, I guess that's what we do. I guess we raise our hands. And then I did it. And it was very uncomfortable, but I, I did it. It's um, powerful. You can see how like uh, Jim Jones can happen, right? <laughs> oh my God. It, it yeah. just, you get sucked in. It's a, a group. You feel part of it and it's very powerful. Usually there's loud music and yep. intense speakers and yeah. yeah. Oh, well, and that's exactly what drew me to it. Uh-huh. Even though my parents didn't necessarily raise me evangelical, uh-huh. when I hit that bullying in middle uh-huh. school, I needed friends. I needed a place to be. I needed simple answers. Uh-huh. I needed belonging. Uh-huh. And the Christians had that. The they, evangelical kids gave that to me. totally know how to do that. And they did it well. I felt really loved by them. Yeah. And, and, it, yeah. and it can be wonderful, like permanently, if that's where you like to be. And mm-hmm. they do know how to embrace most people. If you're, yeah. if you, the problem I experienced when I was in that is that you had to kind of toe the party line, right? You had to, if you had started yeah. questioning the belief or questioning your identity, or, then all bets are off. Is that right. the way it was for you too? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. But if, you're, was, it, if you yeah. fit right in there, wow. If everything mm-hmm. lines up nicely for you, oh, what a great like sense a of togetherness and connection. <laughs> yeah. If you're cis straight, yeah. mm, if you're middle class, Yes. <laughs> you're in a good place. Yeah. If you don't have an agnostic bone in your body, you're good to go. <laughs> I, yes, I learned. I learned. I found my agnostic bones later in, in like college and, and that was a, that was rough. Because <laughs> you went to a Christian college, right? Yeah. Calvin. Cal, it's university now. Calvin University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Okay. That sounds so serious. Um, it is a uh, Calvin oh, of John Calvin. He's yeah. no joke, that guy. <laughs> no, he's not. He's very he's predestination, strict. very total depravity, mm-hmm. very, you know, you're broken from the get-go. And I I bought into most of that theology. That's where I got serious, not just about my quote unquote relationship with Jesus, but I was really into like academic theology then. Um, so I could really convince myself that I was, I was broken. <laughs> right. Get the evidence. Uh, that's a good idea. W- was that your course of study? Were you in theology for your course of study? I was a, I was a, I was a religion. They called it a religion major, but really it was more like biblical studies and Christian theology. Were you going to be a minister or a religious I really educator? thought I was. Wow. I really thought I was. Brought me to seminary later. You still could be. 
Yeah. It's, well, I could be. I have the degrees now. I, I went to seminary then and yeah, maybe down the road. I'll pull that degree out of my pocket and, and use it. So you do, a pastor, have a, but. you do have a seminary degree. I sure wow. do. Beth. So you just aren't ordained or whatever with the right at a specific church. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Now, what along this timeline, when did you come out as gay and as non-binary? And was that yeah. at the same time or different? It's different times. I came out as bisexual my senior year of college, right before my senior year of college. How did did that go over? (laughs) Yeah, you know what? It went okay. Yeah? Um, It went okay. Not perfectly. I was was at a Christian college and I was a religion major, but I will say I found most of the progressive friends that I had and the professors who knew how to think progressively, they were in the religion department. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's where they were. And I think it's because we learned how to think forwards and backwards through the texts and we yeah. realized that it is actually Jesus was like a radical. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Regardless, uh, coming out to my friends and family, it was awkward. They didn't know how to respond, but none of them ostracized me. They they did very well. Oh, good. My family was okay. My 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 parents they they did the the typical I apologize for my growling dog over here. There's no, this is her space, you know, (laughs) that's what you're hearing. Yeah. Hi, Peppers. Hi, Rory. Okay. Okay, baby. Okay. Are they protecting you or is that just She's, she's protecting me from, from the scary neighbors doing their laundry. Well, we need to do that. Somebody's got to do it. (laughs) Um, my parents, you know, there's the typical, we don't want your life to be harder. And we are afraid of your life being harder Mm -hmm. because of this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I would say that they are partially correct in that as an LGBTQ person, your life is is just, that's the world we live in. Our lives are just going to be harder in some ways. Definitely. And it is exponentially harder to not be out. (laughs) Yeah. So to pretend to be something you're not the whole rest of your life is... Really, really, really hard. It's very taxing. Right. Yeah. But I appreciated that. And and at the time, you know, I said I was I was bisexual and I think that they were holding out hope that <laughs> I would, you know, I would end up with a man and everything would be fine and we could kind of just forget this whole thing happened. Mm-hmm. And when Whitney and I came out as a couple mm-hmm. uh, to my family, Whitney's my wife, um, that was a lot harder. It was a lot oh, harder. Because they're like, oh, there goes our dreams of this it's wedding real. and the babies and the, all that. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. It's real now. Mm-hmm. And we communicated. We were very avoidant in our in our conflict, both of us, both mm-hmm. myself and my parents. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of emails sent back and forth. There was a lot of poor, like missed signals and misinterpreted uh-huh. misinterpreted signals and mind reading, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like you're not supposed to do in healthy relationships. Yeah. And a lot of sort of over-sexualizing me. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this now, and you should know that all the stuff about my sexuality, my parents now have, we've, we've apologized and moved on. So oh, I can okay. talk about this. Okay, good. They love Whitney and she's part of the family. Oh, but okay. it was a lot of telling me that, you know, just because I'm bisexual and just because I'm with a woman doesn't mean that any rules are different and that we, as uh, my parents' children, are not allowed to have sex under my parents' roof if we ever visit. And it was a lot of this sort of going okay. through the rules. Okay. And I was like, ooh. But when I when I came out, uh, when when Whitney and I came out as a couple, my my parents had they saw me differently all of a sudden. At least that's how I felt. Oh. They they saw me as a morally different person. Do you think they couldn't get the image out of their head of their? their daughter having sex with a woman. Right. Like I think probably, uh, I, I think it was probably this very, just, I, I think it's, it's an image, right? It's like the dreams that they have yeah. for me, the image they paint for me, yeah. which I mean, I'm not a parent, so I, I can't really necessarily, but I can imagine as their child at that time, I remember I kept trying to have grace for them by thinking, you know what? The only people who have had dreams for me longer than I've had dreams for me are my parents. Yeah. And now I'm telling them yeah. to change course. And that's 
harder for them than it is for me. They've had this dream for longer. Yeah, before you were born, um, I'm sure. You know, right. it, it, it is true. And speaking as a parent, I've had to give up every dream I ever had for my child, mm. not regarding queerness, but regarding just living <laughs> because he's yeah. so caught up in, addic in addiction right now. Just like right now, I'm just mm. happy if he survives. But that's taken a journey. And at first I was like hanging on, all right, buddy, you can get it. You can do this. Come on, I'll pull you through. I'll help you. Just because I, I didn't want to let that go. So I totally understand that. And parents need to let go. <laughs> yeah. Parents need to let go. We, we are separate beings. We're separate. It feels like we're all one, t one thing. When we are kind of in a way unified as a family, but our children are separate from us. They have their own path. And... I hope that I hope that that becomes more popular to do as the generations go on to let our children be who they are to differentiate. Yeah. In whatever ways, you know, queer or whatever, if they want to be an engineer instead of a doctor or whatever, an artist. Right. Heaven forbid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, yeah, we're, we're, we're flaky. <laughs> um, <laughs> unreliable artists. I, I tried to repaint it for my parents and it only worked to a certain extent but to reframe it as you know embracing new dreams yeah. and it might be better think, than they ever dreamed it would be yeah the real turning point that i felt with my parents was when they started asking me about whitney oh. when they started expressing curiosity and oh. saying okay well tell, tell us about her what do you like about her oh. what you know and that felt like an embrace rather than a defense. Oh, that's so great. I love when families grow together. I know. When people shift. That curiosity, that's one of my favorite words is curiosity. Mm -hmm. Just what is it like? Why, you know, what draws you to that decision or what do you think is going to happen? There's just asking those questions is, yeah. it just opens it up. Ask open-ended questions and yeah. find out, you know, yeah. maybe they're not, you know, horrible decisions being made, or maybe it's not nefarious, or maybe it's not against you, or, you know, maybe it's completely reasonable in somebody else's head and we yeah. can connect that way. Yeah. And I, and it's not even just, I think that as a queer person, I have had to embrace curiosity for myself mm -hmm. um, and about my body. And that is a stance now that comes a little bit more naturally to me. Uh -huh. Like that's curious how that feels that way uh -huh. today. Uh -huh. um, the, the place where my queerness interfaces with some harmful theologies that I had in the past was that I found those theologies because I wanted answers. Mm -hmm. um, and I clung to those answers for dear life. The answer was that I was inherently sinful. Mm -hmm. The answer was that I was born to mess up, mm -hmm. but when I mess up, God's grace is there. Yeah. I became like very addicted to my shame mm -hmm. because that was a very, that feeling is to be expected mm -hmm. when you are, when your humanity encounters God, right? Oh, definitely. Um, those were the answers. And so to embrace my queerness at all, I, I had to start saying, well, what if those aren't answers wow that took a lot of introspection and insight wow yeah there's a real thing called internalized homophobia is that yeah, what you're talking sure. about i think so yeah Where, yeah yeah yeah. even though you know you're queer in whatever letter of the alphabet you are you still hate yourself for being queer because you're it's not the way it's supposed to go you know it's not right the typical way people go. And so and our culture has done a really good job of making queer people outcasts and yeah. like threatened literally with their lives. And uh, it's getting better. Do you think it's getting better? <laughs> I, uh, I think mm. we just had the thing in Texas. So, okay. So maybe it's not getting better. <laughs> I know. I think the sign, the sign that it's getting better is that there is more backlash. I think, yeah. you know, it's like every action, there's going to be an equal and opposite reaction. That's true. And I, so I think the more visible that we get, yeah. the more defensive the naysayers yes. are going to be. We got to keep fighting though, for sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you came out as bisexual in college yeah. mm -hmm. and let that stew, got a girlfriend, mm -hmm. got married. And then mm -hmm. when did you come out as non-binary? 
Yeah, it wasn't until years later. I think it was 2018. And it started with pronouns. I went on a tour uh, to the Pacific Northwest and I thought, well, this is going to be, I'm in a place that I've I've never been before mm-hmm. with people I won't see in everyday mm-hmm. life. I'm going to try, I'm going to try some new pronouns. I'm just going to try. So at some shows in nice. Portland that in front of people I didn't know, I was like, my pronouns are they them. And people interacted with me with they them pronouns before and after the show. And I got to sort of see how that felt. Okay. How does it feel? Especially at first. It felt real good. Yeah. It felt weird, but like expansive. Like it, it, it was like exciting. It felt new. And so I brought it home to Whitney and to my therapist and to my close friends. And we started using it kind of like privately, <laughs> like our little secret. Um, and then I now announced it to the world. And I would say for a solid year, it, it took me that long to kind of get used to mm. hearing those pronouns for myself. Wow. But they felt they felt good. And, you know, it's change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. It took you a year because I'm still stumbling over my pronouns. I mispronoun people all the time by accident. And But if, sure. if you even took a year to get kind of used to it, uh-huh. well, no wonder we're having trouble too. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I mean, I, and it feels good. Yeah. It's just a huge shift. Yeah. yeah, it takes it. It took me a while, mm-hmm. even though I knew it was good. Every time that somebody used the right pronouns, I was like, "Oh, that's different." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it feels good. Yeah. Um, so, your whole life, did you feel neither male nor female, or were you kind of a tomboy? Yeah, this is kind of exciting to, to talk about. I just uh, made a, a Patreon blog post about this. I. From a really young age, people were asking me, are you a boy or a girl? And I remember the the first time that it felt terrible was in seventh grade, like my first week of school. The only friends I had were from that private Catholic elementary school. We were sitting at a lunch table together and a girl named Brittany uh, walked up. (laughs) Of course, this girl named Brittany. I know this girl. I know. Uh, yeah, of course you do. We all know this girl. She walks up to our lunch table, looks directly at me and says, are you a boy or a girl? And I was, I was just petrified. Just, just, I could, wanted to just crawl out of my skin. And a friend at my table answered for me like, Yo, she's a girl dummy, you know, whatever uh, these seventh graders say. And, mm-hmm. but it happened again when I, in my Eighth grade year, it was I was in jazz band and we were at festival, and there was a jazz band judge who who came to work with us after our performance, and I was sitting back on the drum set, and I was wearing a pink button down shirt, and my hair was long and curly, and this was a the most femme I could get, <laughs> and this judge looks back and gives me a note and calls me the young man on the drum set in front of the entire middle school jazz game. And again, I was just so embarrassed. And it's only recent, and this happened again and again, my, my nieces and nephews, mm-hmm. um, people at work still, still, you know, they'll call me gentleman, gentleman and then a lady. And <laughs> it doesn't matter how I present. It doesn't matter what my hair is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. It's actually not these outer cues that people mm-hmm. are picking up on. Mm-hmm. They're like picking up on something inherent. Mm-hmm. And it's only very recently that I've realized that when I was younger, I was so embarrassed by these interactions, Mm -hmm. not because people were seeing me wrong, but because they were getting it right. They were outing me before I knew it about myself. They were outing me before I was ready. Wow. I think that's my, that's my current interpretation of those events. Yeah. Like it was cutting too close to the bone. Like. Ooh, yeah, that truth is too hard for me to deal with. It. That's too big for me right now. I'm not ready for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think it would take for a seventh grader to be ready to be outed as non-binary? Where that be like, yeah, I <laughs> guess that's what I am. I mean, what would that take for their culture to shift that much? Visibility in oh. the adults in their lives. Yeah. yeah, and in the media that they're consuming. Yeah, and yeah, visibility absolutely. I just, I mean, like we were saying earlier, I just didn't even know it was an option. Yeah. I didn't, it was a word. I just spent so long feeling like something was not right Yeah, yeah. about my body and about myself in it. And so long just dissociate, you know, yeah. just 
totally being a disembodied person. Yeah. Do you feel like just a head sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. I have body dysphoria too for different reasons, but yeah, I, mm. I could totally just live with just my head and my fingers. The rest yeah. of it can just go, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. I, I'm working on that too, but ugh, it's really yeah. a terrible feeling to just be embodied. I mean, this is where our soul gets to live for however long our life is and to just not feel at home in it. It's really exactly torturous. And you know what would have helped me, I think, is instead of grownups in my life, I'm just going to call them grownups because I'm, now I'm just pretending I'm in a, you know, a mm -hmm. middle schooler, but instead of grownups in my life, explaining to me what was going to happen to my body in adolescence, uh -huh. um, saying, instead of them just explaining it to me and telling me what it meant and what it should mean mm -hmm. and how exciting it would be that these changes were going to happen. Mm -hmm. They could say, these things are probably going to happen. <laughs> I mean, they will happen. Mm -hmm. And when they happen, I want to talk about how it feels ah. because it could feel a lot of different ways. Wow. And I want to talk about how it feels with you. And, and there's no wrong way for it to feel. Oh, I'm getting the shivers from that. Wouldn't that be amazing yeah. if kids heard that? Wow. I, I, yeah. Because as soon as I was uncomfortable when my body started changing and things started happening, I, I dissociated and I honestly, <laughs> but I, I, I ignored what was happening in my body so much that I actually ended up in the hospital for two weeks in my freshman year of college. I had a particularly heavy period and my whole adult life of being a person who menstruated, I did not talk about it. I did not think about it. I just let it happen to me. Mm -hmm. I knew it would be over. Mm -hmm. And so when this one oddity of a period happened to me, I didn't talk about it. I didn't think about it. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the lead up into the hospital. Right. I, I cannot, I remember it being harder for me to go up the stairs. I remember it being harder for me to walk to class. I remember missing my alarm oh. in the mornings because I was sleeping through uh -huh. them and that's uh -huh. very uncharacteristic. Uh -huh. And then I remember not being able to stand up to sing a hymn at church on a Sunday morning when I was uh, home visiting family from, from school and my dad saying, you look pale, let's just take you in and, and, and look. And then we, so we took me in to urgent care and they could barely draw any blood out of me. Whoa. And yeah, my hemoglobin was a healthy level for a person that age. It's 12 to 16. My, my, the hemoglobin, the, the thing that carries oxygen through your blood to the, to the rest of your body, it was at a 5.5. It was half of what Whoa. it should have been. So I wasn't getting oxygen. Holy they God. told me that, said you're highly anemic. I passed right out. And then I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. Wow. But I did not know what was happening to me because, and I don't want to, I mean, that is just dysphoria, mm -hmm. but I didn't know that's, that it was dysphoria. I just thought whatever my body is doing, it's, it's not happening. It is not happening because that is not my body. Yeah. Well, that is not what my body does. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I wish there had been grownups early on who would have said, you know, your body is going to do this, mm -hmm. but it can mean a lot of different things and mm -hmm. we can reframe it and we can talk about it and you can be uncomfortable, but let's talk about it. Yeah. It doesn't have to mean you're a woman. It can just mean that you're a body yeah, that menstruates. Body and yeah. Wow. Well, that's a good goal for future generations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too late for us, but. <laughs> oh, no, but but we can help other we can help other people and younger people and and even grown-ups to start to get to know their own body perhaps and to become more accepting of or not more accepting maybe but more curious and more introspective about what's going on with our body a friendly observer to what you feel observer. about your body oh you must be thirsty let me get you something to drink yes <laughs> That didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. I wonder why that didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yes. Oh, our body tries to tell us our body. What I've learned from studying trauma these last couple of years with my son is that your body knows way before your mind. Mm -hmm. Your body is the one that holds the trauma. It's yeah. not your mind. So people that get things like chronic fatigue and cancer and these big kind of overriding illnesses, many times, not all the time, but many times is trauma just speaking. And we don't listen to it for a long time. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to get a little louder right now because you're not listening to me. So yeah. it's, it's a fascinating area. And, and I suppose that 
someone that is non-binary has to dig into this deeper than other people that that are cis or that don't realize that they're non-binary yet. Yeah, or yeah, just anybody who ex- experiences dysphoria. I mean, because there are cis people who experience yeah. dysphoria, like you said, mm-hmm. and there are non-binary and trans people who don't really yeah. experience much dysphoria, physical dysphoria. Mm-hmm. And I just think it would do us all a lot of good to be able to, like, like you said, it's a, such a cultural thing to sculpt and force our bodies to be certain things for us. And I just wonder how much better off we would be if we listened to what our bodies needed from yes, us. Yes. Yeah. Now, can you, t- can you explain to us the difference between trans and non-binary? Oh, sure. Yeah. So non-binary just fits underneath this big trans umbrella. So the trans umbrella is vast and massive and it just means that you don't in some way exclusively identify with the sex that you were assigned at birth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This binary sex model, mm-hmm. um, which is also problematic. Yeah. But right, and so so you could be uh, gender fluid, and you technically be trans. You could be non-binary, and you're technically trans. You can be a binary trans person and to, you know, trans. So non-binary just sort of fits under the umbrella. And non-binary doesn't mean androgynous necessarily. It doesn't mean halfway between boy or girl. Mm. I like to describe it as a color wheel. So. Oh. You know, if girl is arbitrarily pink and boy is arbitrarily blue, that doesn't mean that non-binary is purple. We can be green, we can be orange, we can be yellow, we can be red, we can be, you know, any sort of thing on the color wheel. Yeah. I like to think of myself as green, honestly. Green. But <laughs> And it could change day to day or would that be more gender fluid yep. people that change a lot? Yeah, gender fluid. And that can also be considered trans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. I love all of it. I love that <laughs> people seem to be you know, finding where they fit a lot know, better nowadays, great? the younger kids. And I, th- I think, I think there's no downside to it, except for all the horrible backlash that we're getting from it. Uh, right. But, but <laughs> yeah, well, the pain that the culture brings, but the authenticity mm-hmm. piece, I think, I mean, what, what's the problem? I, I really, truly don't understand what people's problem is with people's gender identities. It boggles my mind. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's envy, I think it's jealousy because it's us, you know, finding the truth about ourselves. Yes. And um when people when one person steps into their power, mm-hmm. that's intimidating. It is. That's envious. It yeah. is. I bet that's a big piece of it. Cuz how many people do you think live like on the outer edges of the binary binary? <laughs> right. How many people are like 100% male or 100% female? Very oh, few, right? I just right? can't. Yeah. Very few. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. Almost everybody has some, you know, some mix of both. Maybe someday right. we'll just throw the whole binary out the window and just say, we are what That'd we are. That'd be cool. <laughs> that would be good. That'd be cool. We're just like humans, right? Yeah. Um, There's some languages that really have to adjust, though. A lot of languages, their whole language is built around the gender binary. So that'd be tough. That's true. That's but then there are some others that don't have like gendered pronouns yes. like at, at all. I think Persian is like that. Yes. Yeah. Like learning how to use them is weird. Yes. It's such a um, fascinating topic. It is. How often do you think about it? Like every day do you think, I'm non-binary and this is stressful and this world is not fit for me and Mm -mm. no. No, I don't think think about it as being stressful very often. Okay. There are like days when I am feeling really dysphoric and like out of my body. Those days I have to think more intentionally about it. I am really fortunate that I live like on the East Coast and so I really – I I am out at work. I'm out. I'm out everywhere. It's very accepted yeah. uh, to be a they them out here, and so I really life is not harder for me out here. Okay. Just to to be honest, I think about the joy that it brings me a lot. Okay. Oh, I'm so a glad lot. to hear that. I am so happy to hear that. So you just feel more at home. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Wow. I, I do. Yeah. I think about my younger self a lot. Mm-hmm. I think about having compassion for them. Mm. So I, that's so funny. Yeah. I very rarely think about how hard it is to be non-binary now. And I th- think a lot about how much discomfort I had in my past that I'm trying to heal now mm-hmm. retroactively. Mm-hmm. And if you if you had been able to live into your non-binariness way back then, how much pain could have been avoided? Yeah. 
not that you can never go back, but maybe for people who are listening and if their kid is like talking a little bit about gender or like testing the waters, huh? Right. Hey mom, I wonder if blank, let's see, yeah. let's just see. Yeah. Explore. See if we can let this, let the kids be who they are right away. So they have less therapy bills. <laughs> yeah. Unraveling yeah. it all later on. Yeah. I mean, I know there's like so much like misinformation going on, like about, um, you know, kids and the, the irreversible damage that it does to, to let them explore these things. It's, um, it's, it's just not, yeah, not true. Yeah, a lot of mongering um, out there. Yeah, well, I think your story is very inspiring and I, you can just hear the joy and the comfort that you have now. Oh. And I think, I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. And uh, I'd like to talk to you about your song a little bit, the Plowshare sure. Prayer. Yeah. For those that don't know what a plowshare is, can you explain the title? Yeah, I'm, uh, it's a gardening tool. Uh, so it's, it you know breaks open the ground so that things can grow. So it's mm -hmm. not like hardened earth anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's a Bible verse in Isaiah um, that talks about like it's a dream of a future where you know people are beating their swords into plowshares mm -hmm. and that that's where it came from is this idea of taking things that have been used to hurt us in the past mm -hmm. and using them as a tool for growth and notably a plowshare it does involve a breaking open right mm -hmm. it's not just like it doesn't just feel good. Mm -hmm. It's like we have to look at the hardness of our hearts a little bit. We have to do some excavation mm -hmm. in order for some softness to emerge, in order for something better to grow in its place. And so I knew that people hearing the song, it would feel a little bit, not painful in a bad way, mm -hmm. but painful in, in a growing kind of way. Oh, yes. Well, I have shed many, many a tear listening to your song, but I am very grateful for those tears. I, you named something that I didn't even know existed that, that if the, if prayer has been used as a sword against you, mm -hmm. oof, yeah, yeah, that's pretty heavy. And then yeah. you've got several lines. If you haven't heard the song yet, we'll play it in, in a little bit, but the song lists many different types of people that are praying, right? Yeah. And just many different groups, a lot of out groups, you know, the addicts, the, the, and the line that gets me every single time regarding my son is, uh, and if you don't want healing, I pray for peace. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Because yeah. you can't force someone to be healed. You can't, you can't will it to them. They have to want to be healed. So if you're not ready to be healed yet, I pray mm -hmm. for peace for you. And there's just so many lines that are like, oh, there it is. Oh, gosh, mm -hmm. that one too. Oh, yes, that too. Oh, and it's, I've shared that song with so many people. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious how far that song is going to go. I know it's already gone viral, but I just feel like that song is going to change the world, honestly. Thank you. Yeah. Did it pour out of you like in one fell swoop or was it a crafting <laughs> of the poetry? It came pretty fast. I was working for a church at the time and my job for them was to write music mm -hmm. for their worship gatherings mm -hmm. and it was becoming increasingly hard for me to write music for them because I was compromising a bit of myself because I didn't necessarily believe all the things that they believed anymore. Mm -hmm. And they're very good people. They're still very good friends of mine. Mm -hmm. I believe in what the church does, mm -hmm. but in order to, to write songs that were meaningful to them and to me, I was compromising a lot. Mm -hmm. And there was a prayer service coming up and I needed to write a prayer song. <laughs> I, I knew, and I had put it off and I just sat down and I thought, I don't pray. I don't pray anymore. Mm. I, and I cannot, this is where it's going to be hard. I, I can't write a prayer song without really compromising myself and where I am right now. And that's not okay. Mm -hmm. So how do I do this in a way that doesn't compromise myself mm -hmm. and, and my beliefs um, and just where I am right now? Mm. And um, so I started doing a little free write and I realized, I was like, you know what the problem is, is that I don't pray anymore because prayer has hurt me and people like me. 
And then I was like, prayer hasn't just hurt me and people like me. It's hurt people like that and people like that and people like that and people like that. I was like, so I wonder if I can write a prayer that's not a prayer, that is a prayer (laughs) for all of us. All of us. And Um, you list, I don't think there's anyone in the whole world that isn't on your list somewhere. (laughs) Well, I I tried. Um, I tried. I, I think the first lines that came to me as out walking my dog and the first lines that came into my head were, I pray that if you go all day being brave, that you can go home, go to bed feeling safe. Oh, and yes. I was like, all right, there's a starting point. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and then I slept on it and I woke up in the middle of the night and I had to write more groups of people on my notepad. And the next morning I threw all the lyrics together and did a one take video, posted it on the internet. And that video, that video went viral. And yeah. then you made, you recently made a studio album out of it, which is beautiful. And then you also made a live video of it with better yeah. microphone or whatever, you know, like a, right. yeah, much a real setup <laughs> and not just like, oh, I'm going to throw this on Facebook real quick. So right. yeah. So now it's out there in three different ways. It is. <sighs> yeah. It's just, and other people have recorded like videos and covers of it. Somebody did it in Swedish. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, it's going around the world. I am so excited. Yeah. This song really needs to be heard by everyone. It, it'll it hit you one way or another. I promise you. And I remember reading the Facebook comments. I got it, like I said, through uh, UU channels. It's gone through the UU world for sure. And I read somebody else said, nice song, but what is a nice Christian person like you using the word queer for? And oh yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh really? Are we gonna have to go here? <laughs> and your response was so brilliant. You said, Well, that is a major part of the reason I'm writing this song. <laughs> that <laughs> word is staying in there. Yeah, right. That's not going anywhere. Yeah. Sorry. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, and I if I if I didn't identify as queer, I probably wouldn't have put that word in, but because I, I do, yeah. I'm allowed to say it. Yeah. And I will. Yeah. That's an important word. And uh mm-hmm. I know that it hurts. Some people that are much older than both of us, right. uh, that word has been so damaging to them that that's tough for them to hear. And I'm not exactly right. sure what to do about that. Yeah. Just honor that. Yeah. Respect that. And I do. Yeah, obviously. But the younger um, people, it's it's a much better word than LGBTQIA plus whatever. It's just, right. it's quicker. It's quicker and it's reclaiming. Yes. It is, it is honestly, it is the spirit of, of plowshare prayer, right? It's like using this thing that has hurt us yes. before yes. and saying it won't anymore. Yes. It's ours now. Yes. Well, why don't we listen to your song and let everybody hear it? And then I want y'all to go buy it off of <laughs> all of the places where you can stream music. Go listen to it, watch it on YouTube. And, um, but let's listen to it together right now. Share of sorts 
That it might break you open, it might help you grow I pray that your body gets all that it needs And if you don't want healing, I just pray for peace I pray that your burden gets lighter each day I pray the mean voice in your head goes away I pray that you honor the grief as it comes I pray you can feel all the life in your lungs I pray that if you go all day being brave That you can go home, go to bed feeling safe That song is so amazing. I'm sure you all had all the feels like I still do every time I hear that. Spencer, how how can we best support you going forward? What can we do to make the yeah, Spencer, honestly, Spencer world happen? <laughs> honestly, as silly as it sounds, a follow on social media just because so I post where I'm going to be playing. That's just, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And we can just connect there and I read every comment and I love everybody. Um, and then if you have $1 a month to spare, Patreon, yeah. patreon.com is where I post all of my innermost musings uh-huh. from my therapy to the page. And so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I hope uh, we can connect even better there. Yeah. But yeah. I love Patreon. We have Patreon too. And I love it. Yeah. It's like the old fashioned way of supporting artists. You know, yes, just go right to the artist. Let's avoid, you know, 
giving money to all these other millionaires. Let's just give it to the artist, show mm -hmm. them that you appreciate what they're doing and get a little bit of goodies from it. You know, you provide all sorts of, your blog is on there, yep. you know, early releases or whatever. And uh, yep, I have like little like uh, meditative sort of videos. I have yep early releases, uh, brand new songs, nice. early releases of of like official songs. I give them to patrons first, and nice. it's honestly just it's a it's a place that feels more like family. Yeah, so than social media. Yeah, yes, because people are choosing to be in that group with you. They're saying, right. "Here, put my hat in this ring. I want to be involved in this." Right. Yeah. And, uh, and you are wanting to tour some more, right? Yes. Yes. I've got some things booked for the summer already and I'm, uh, working on dates in other cities, but yeah. So this summer and early fall, I'll be, I'll be around okay. the country. We really yeah. hope you come to Southern California. You've got a place, uh, if you get down this direction, oh, okay. we'd love to have you. And you uh, we will all support you as much as we can. Your music is really, really important. You're just being your authentic self. Take away the music. You're just being alive and being your authentic oh. self is so important. And then you add the musical talent, which we have hardly even talked about on this pod. But it's amazing. You really have a voice out there and it's really important for people to hear. That's really sweet. Oh. Thank you. Thanks for doing what you do on this podcast too. Oh. It's very, very special and very important. So thank you. Thank you. I hope my big goal for this is to destigmatize all of the things that are keeping people back from being who they really are. So, and I, I know my son, he really actually was hoping to be here today. So he, he says hello and he would love to meet oh, you someday too. Of and, course. Yeah. When I come to Southern when California. You come, definitely. And uh, let's see, let's wrap it up here. Please uh, support Safe Home Podcast too. We have Patreon. All the links for all of these things will be in the notes, by the way. Patreon, all the social media places. We put our podcast on YouTube as well. And we really appreciate everybody listening and taking the time to, to learn some new things and to open up our minds even more. So thank you, everyone, for listening. We love you all. And Spencer and I want you to stay, stay safe. safe.